I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Gronk. That's the nothing personal word of the day. Gronk. As in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got gronked yesterday. Yes, Rob Gronkowski, the champion of WWE 24-7 something. I think he pinned someone and I think Vince McMahon made it. So Rob Gronkowski, the retired great tight end from the New England Patriots, Tom Brady's favorite target, retired, young, said, that's it, I'm done. But we knew he wasn't. I think he was just done with the Patriots. So Tom Brady ends up leaving the Patriots. He then moves on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then all of a sudden, rumors come out of nowhere that Rob Gronkowski is being traded by the New England Patriots to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be reunited with Tom Brady. To which most people said, Rob Gronkowski, wasn't he free to sign with anybody? Why did he have to get traded? Well, the way it works is, When you retire, you go on the retired list of a team. Otherwise, you're just a free agent and you're not really retired. That's why sometimes you see that we re-sign a player just to have him retire as a member of our team. We did that to Conine, signed him to a one-day contract, Jeff Conine. Then he becomes on the Marlins retired list. That means if he ever wants to play, we have to take him off the retired list. So he was still the property, if you will, of the New England Patriots. So Rob Gronkowski calls up New England and says, hey, here's my thought. I'm not playing for you. I'm going to stay retired. I'm going to keep wrestling. I'm going to keep partying. Except this whole social distancing thing has totally gotten the way of my vibe and my groove. So I think I want to play again. But here's the kicker. I'll only play if you trade me the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And by the way, hold on one second. My agent's calling Tampa. Hey, Tampa, I just spoke to Tom. Tom said that he would love to have me on the team. I really want to be on the team because I love Florida. And I know that there are beaches in Tampa and nightclubs. And I don't know if they'll ever be open again. But I love going to Burns Steakhouse. So I would love to be on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yes, you could please speak to my agent. The agent gets told, listen, we'll try to call New England and see if we can work out a trade. They call New England and they say to Bill Belichick, this is outstanding. It's just perfect. It's perfect Belichick, the coach of the Patriots. The Buccaneers say, hey, we'd like to trade for Rob Gronkowski. And the Patriots say, no problem. Here's what we'll do. We'll give you Rob Gronkowski, who is someone who is not in our plans. This is what they say to themselves. Someone not in our plans. Someone who we have no care in the world, whether he plays for any other team, because we know that we don't need him or want him playing for us. So. We will promise to give Gronkowski off the retirement list, trade him to you in Tampa, and we'll give you a seventh round pick if you give us all we need is a fourth round pick. Tampa thought they won the lottery. How could it be? Tampa, they they literally paused for five seconds. 
In the world of sports, when you get a trade offer from someone that you think is too good to be true, 99 times out of 100, it is too good to be true. It is way too good to be true that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got Rob Gronkowski and a seventh round pick and all they had to give up was a fourth round pick. Well, this is the type of trade where both teams are saying this is too good to be true. This is a trade that will have a definite winner and a loser. Tampa got Gronkowski. Everyone now believes that Brady and Gronkowski are going to bring Tampa to be the first ever National Football League team to appear in a Super Bowl that is played in their home stadium. Yes, next year's Super Bowl in January, whether it happens in front of fans or without, not in front of fans, the Super Bowl is scheduled to be played in Tampa at Raymond James Stadium. Can you imagine last year the Dolphins thought that they'd be in the Super Bowl? They wanted to be. They wanted to be the first team. Everybody wants to be the first team. The Falcons, when it was in Atlanta, wanted to be the first team. It goes on and on. It's never happened. But this year, Tampa is sure. Odds makers are running on board. People are betting left, right, and center on the futures, the over of Tampa, winning their division, the NFC Central. Coca, I think they're the Central with the Saints. The NFC Central. I'm repeating it just in case it's wrong. So there's multiple opportunities for Coca to correct me. It's the NFC South. Obviously, Tampa's in the South. Why would I think that they're in the Central? I've got a bit of quarantine in the brain today. I was just telling Coco before the show. I'm feeling like I'm having a sort of situation here. And is it true that Tampa's in the NFC Central? To which he said to me, there is no NFC Central. Are you sure? He's claiming there's only an NFC East, West, North, and South. Well, where are the Bears? What's that? The North? In any case, it doesn't much matter. The fact of the matter is that they're now favored over the Saints in the NFC South, or are they? People are betting them, not me. I'm telling you the Saints, and I told you yesterday, are in a much better position because Tampa has expectations. They think they're getting the Gronkowski of old, the Brady of old. Gronk hasn't played in a year. Brady is 40, he'll be playing at 43, maybe 44 next season. This is a pipe dream. New England, who has not lost a trade in I don't know how long, and you can at me at David P. Sampson and be upset if you're a Patriots fan and give me a list of trades that you're sure they've lost. The bottom line is I view the New England Patriots the way I used to view the Tampa Bay Rays in baseball. If you're making a trade with Tampa and you make an offer to them and they accept it quickly, you know you made a mistake. You're going to lose that trade. That happened every single time. It keeps happening. That's how Tampa with a low payroll keeps winning. So maybe the Buccaneers look at the Rays and they say, listen, it's got to be the water. Maybe it's the fact that we're in the South Division. Although Tampa's in the AL East Division, but Tampa Buccaneers are not in the NFL East, East, NFC East. I'm not really sure how the divisions work. If I had to redo divisions, I don't know that I'd go geographical. I think we should give them names. And the new name for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Division is this. It's the division of hope because everyone's hoping in Tampa that Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski are the difference. That trade made zero sense to me. Zero. Good PR, though. Good PR. People are buying tickets. Well, guess what? In sports, it's a wait to see because either Tampa's going to win games or they're not. That's really all you can say about it. Rob Gronkowski, they've been gronked. Well, it's all in anticipation of tomorrow. Tomorrow is the day. 
Live, regular sports are coming back tomorrow. Yes, you heard it here first. It's breaking news on Nothing Personal. Live, actual sports will be taking place tomorrow on April 23rd. Yes, I know. I'm desperate. I'm desperate for sports. I'm desperate for anything but briefings. It's the draft. It's the virtual draft. We've gone through it. Everyone is so excited. It is a simulcast, the likes of which we haven't seen since the concert last weekend, trying to raise money and awareness that had, I was going to say Loretta Swift. Can you imagine where my head is? She played Margaret Houlihan on MASH. That had Taylor Swift singing at the end and Lady Gaga with her piano. Remember that? That was simulcast with Kimmel and Fallon, etc. and Colbert. Well, tomorrow it's going to be simulcast. ESPN, NFL Network, CBS Sports HQ is going to have every pick, and then they're going to have the fantasy breakdown, all the exciting trades, picks, everything's amazing. And then, boom, it was leaked today that Joe Burrow will be the first pick in the NFL draft tomorrow. All of that excitement, all that anticipation, Roger Goodell getting booed in his basement. I just got a tweet, or it was a text. I can't remember whether it's a tweet or a text, but I got it from Coca, and he said, thanks, this is from Bud Light Seltzer. They're not a sponsor of nothing personal, so I don't care if you drink Miller Light Seltzer. That's fine, or Coors Seltzer, but Bud Light Seltzer has a thing. It's called Boo the Commish hashtag. During the draft, Bud Light Seltzer will give $1 to the NFL Draftathon up to 500 grand. Thanks to your booze, a tradition remains at the NFL draft. Remember to continue to use the hashtag boo the commish. So here's how it'll go. It'll sort of be very simple. Roger Goodell from his basement will take the microphone sometime tomorrow and say, with the first boo, boo draft pick, boo pick in the boo 2020 boo draft, the Bengals will take uh, And then there'll be a pause. There'll be a technological glitch. No one will know. It will be so exciting. It'll be live sports. We'll have analysis. It'll be live. It'll be everywhere. It'll be live tweeted. It'll be on CBS Sports HQ. It'll be everywhere. And then it'll go dark, but we'll know who the number one pick is. In the least interesting news of the day, the number one pick will be Joe Burrow. That's not exciting. Of course, he was going to the Bengals. Remember when the Bengals were going to trade the number one pick or they weren't sure or the Dolphins were going to put all their picks together and move up? And I told you, no doubt, no doubt that the Bengals are taking Burrow. But that's not the exciting part. The question is what happens next. And in any draft situation, a team goes into the draft. They know exactly what's happening. They know who they want. And they've spoken to the agents of the players. Every time we used to tell the media in baseball that we didn't know who we were going to draft, we were lying. We've been in touch with every agent and we were doing pre-draft deals. Yes, those are against the rules, and yes, every team did them, including ours. A pre-draft deal is when you speak to the agent of the player you want to draft, and the agent says, hey, that guy will sign for blank millions of dollars. And we say, great, talk to you later. Or the agent says, no, he won't sign for that amount, and he doesn't want to be a Marlin, in which case we'd say, great, see you later. We would have every idea of who was going where. We would know the first 20 picks, frankly, of where where players were going. And we would have an idea of who we wanted. And we kept a board in order. You think, let's just take, because I'm here locally, the whole Tua controversy. Tua's draft rise, his stock is raising 
rising. Tua's draft stock is increasing. <laughs> it's increasing. No, no, no. Tua's draft stock is plummeting. No, the Dolphins are going to take him. No, they're taking Justin E. Bear. Hebert A. Bear. Wasn't there a quarterback named Bobby A. Bear? I think there was. In any case, Justin A. Bear. It's Herbert. Thank you, Coca. <laughs> is it Justin Herbert? Is it Jordan Love? Is it David Love? Is it Bobby Love? Is it Chase Young? Is it Forever Young? Is it Dimitri Young? Is it the Young and the Restless? There is a lot of question as to what order the players will be drafted in, but the teams know exactly what they're doing. Do you think we would look at Twitter if in baseball, hey, the Marlins are really looking. There's so many articles. The Marlins are looking at the following five guys for their first round pick. And do you think we looked at that and paid any attention? Do you think that we watched any of the analysts on TV and listened to one word any of them said? Now, I'm now amongst them, but I'm not giving you analysis on the picks. Frankly, I could care less. You take Burrow, you take Young, you take Tua, you take... Herbert. I don't care. What I do care is to tell you how it actually happens. Not one GM, not one owner, not one head of scouting, not one head coach pays attention to one thing one analyst says on any network, whether it's CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, Fox, it doesn't matter. Nat Geo, the Discovery Channel, Bravo. Nope, don't watch them, don't care. They know. The Dolphins aren't waiting till tomorrow to see if they're going to take Tua. They know exactly who they want, but they've got a depth chart, which means if Tua is taken in the fourth pick and not available in the fifth pick, then they go to their second choice and then they draft their second choice. We always would laugh at MLB because they put five minutes or two minutes or three minutes between picks. You don't need more than five seconds between picks because every team knows they've got an order. When the player comes off the boards, you know what you do? It's very technological. Don't try this at home because I went to school for this. You have it on a board. Now, I know this is hard. What you do is you take the pencil and the marker, Sharpie, board marker, dry erase pen. You unclasp it just like I did. And you you wipe his name off the board. When the Bengals take Joe Burrow, if the Dolphins wanted to take Joe Burrow first, he was their pick at number one, but he gets taken number one. If they want to chase Young at number two, then they would say if he's available at number five, they're taking Chase Young. If Chase Young is taken, guess what they do? They wipe it off the board. It's really not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. There is no team who doesn't know what their plan is. All of the rumors... It's just fodder for you guys to tweet about and listen to. And it's for analysts to think that they can tell you that they've got insight. They've got a phone into the room. We monitored every single leak. We knew exactly. We would have people leak certain information to certain writers about who we wanted to pick on purpose. On purpose. We would say, hey, we're really looking strong like this guy with the fifth pick. Very strongly. The only people we told that we were going to draft Jose Fernandez, and I think of him because he dropped to us and we had no belief that he would drop to us. I think we drafted him with the number 10 pick, 710, I can't remember what it was, 710, 13 in that range. We didn't say a word. We leaked the opposite, that we were interested in four players before that. It's elementary. It's literally elementary. Drafts tomorrow. Good luck, everyone. Hey. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So you want to talk to Samson. Thank you. This is a good one. This has been the news of the day yesterday. I want to explain it to everyone. There is so much misinformation about this topic that it stops now. It stops now. I've gone over it several times on Nothing Personal in previous episodes, but I want to be extraordinarily clear and give you little nuggets that you can tell your other quarantine friends during Zoom virtual cocktail hour. Is it true that there will be 42 teams contracted by minor league baseball in a negotiation that's taking place today? That was the question. Is it true? Because rumors came out that there's going to be a negotiating session between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball taking place today. Minor League Baseball responded to the rumors by saying there is no agreement in place where we have agreed to the allow the contraction of 40 to 42 minor league teams. What's taking place today is not a final negotiation. It is another negotiation. The first one actually since the pandemic. This is a negotiation between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball to put a new agreement in place that expires at the end of this baseball season, which normally would be September, whenever the Minor League Baseball season would end, or if it doesn't end, it would expire. If it doesn't start, I should say, the deal would expire in November. This is a deal there that outlines the rules under which Minor League Baseball operates. Guess who's got the leverage in this negotiation? Here are the takeaway points. Number one. Whatever Major League Baseball wants, they're going to get. And the reason they will get anything they want is that they have the hammer. The hammer is that they can survive without an agreement with the Minor League Baseball Association, MILB. They can just have their own development program. They can put all their drafted players and all anybody else to fill out rosters, put them on a team, and have the teams play at any sort of schoolyard they want. Pay them the same amount, which they do now, have no overhead because don't need fans, don't need marketing, don't need sales, don't need a stadium. You need a field and you have them play games against each other, against teams, and you get them ready to become major leaguers. That's a fact. Major League Baseball does not need minor league baseball. Now, that makes minor league baseball owners crazy because they've invested sometimes tens of millions of dollars in these franchises. But here's another fact for your Zoom virtual happy hour. Minor league baseball team valuations have zero to do with the players on the team. Minor league baseball team valuations are based on the local revenue that they generate from ticket sales, concessions, parking, any local radio and TV broadcasting. Period. Hard stop. Stop. 
They could have a minor league team that never wins and their team value does not go down. They could have a minor league team that wins the minor league championship of any level and their team value does not go up. It is completely irrelevant. Third point. If baseball wants to have better facilities, they'll get them. If baseball wants to allow major league teams to change affiliates without being held hostage, they'll get that point. What do I mean? Do you know how many times I had to deal with minor league team owners and executives and had to absolutely kiss their ass because we so badly wanted to be with them as an affiliate because we only had a certain number of teams with which we could affiliate, let's say in AAA or AA. So we had a guarantee to play a major league exhibition. So we had to schlep our players and pay for that, schlep them, pay for another team to come or go play in the minor league facility against ourselves and our minor league players as a thank you to be able to be in Carolina or Albuquerque or New Orleans or Vegas or anywhere else you'd have a triple A or double A team. I had to pretend I didn't mind. During the winter meetings, we had to have cocktail parties with the minor league owners and the minor league executives, and we had to bring all our major league coaches and staff and major league, like the Andre Dawson's and Tony Perez of the world. We had to have Don Maddenly show up, and I would go with Mike Hill or Larry Beinfest, and we'd go and have about 10 to 12 to 15 drinks. We'd shake some hands. We'd hear them tell us how upset they are that we, they don't have winning teams, and we'd say, sorry, we'll do our best, because you know my job as president of the Marlins, my sole focus is on having as many minor league championships as possible. If I could get minor league championships, I'm going to get a race. We had to pretend that was the case. Here's a little nugget to minor league owners and executives out there. There's not one major league executive or one major league GM or one major league owner who actually cares whether they win at the minor league level. They all say they do. They'll all tell you they do. They'll stand up in public and say, we want to build a winning culture throughout the organization. We want to get the best players we can throughout our system because when they're winning as a group in single A and then double A and then triple A, that means they'll win as a group in Major League Baseball on the Major League team. It's a joke. They're kidding. There is zero correlation between winning a double A Southern League championship and winning a World Series at the big league level. Zero. Negative. There may even be a negative correlation. But don't worry. We're going to keep saying it matters because we had no choice because of the agreement with minor league baseball. This is the moment for major league baseball to break free from that and get an agreement that they want with the provisions that they want that we've told them they want. We would tell Central Baseball, hey, we want to have fewer affiliates. Hey, we want our affiliates closer to our major league team in bigger airports. Hey, we don't want connecting flights. Hey, we don't want overnight red-eye flights so our players, when we call them up, come exhausted. Hey, we don't want them served McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, or Burger King. If it's in and out, we'll take it. But other than that, we need better food. Hey, we need a better weight room, and you better pay for that. We're already paying for the players. It's all going to change. And guess what the major league teams have now? Right in their back pocket. And if you think they're going to use it as a shield instead of a sword, you're wrong. They've got the global pandemic. They've got the loss of billions, billions and billions of dollars of revenue in major league baseball. Do you think for one minute they're going to let minor league baseball get one thing in this agreement? Even one? They may throw them like a bone, like a little nugget. We would do that in some contracts that we negotiate with people some deals that we do. We give them a little something. It reminded me of Billy Bob Thornton in Love Actually when 
Hugh Grant, the prime minister, says to the president of the United States, played by Billy Bob Thornton, hey, can you give me something? And he says, I'll give you anything you want as long as it's something that I want to give you. That's exactly how we are at Major League Baseball. Why? Because we can be. We will give the minor league baseball, not the minor league, we'll give minor league baseball anything they want as long as it's something we want to give them. Great news today. Hockey's back. Live hockey. We heard it. Andy Slater is reporting that Panthers president Matt Caldwell has said that the NHL is now aiming for a July restart in four or five neutral sites with either some or no fans. Stop the presses. Another country heard from. We haven't heard much from hockey since Gary Bettman was on that call. Who remembers that call that I did with the commissioners and Mr. Trump, President Trump? It was one of the funniest parts, I thought. When Gary Bettman said, hey, I just want to say thanks for having me. I'll shut up and listen. That always makes me laugh to think about it. Thanks for reminding me of that. When you tweet at me or download, rate, subscribe. Don't, by the way, we've got an end of month mailbag coming on. Please rate and review on Apple. Write a question in your review and I'll answer it at the end of month mailbag. It'll come out the first Saturday in May, which I believe is May 2nd. But of course, I could be wrong because I can't remember what day today is except Survivor's on and the draft is tomorrow, which means it's April 22nd, Wednesday, April 22nd. Today's the 22nd. It's two days before the 24th, which is a Friday, the 24th of April. I wonder what's going to happen with NHL. What are the four to five neutral sites? Well, we know things are okay in the Dakotas. I wonder maybe they'll go to Mount Rushmore. And put a hockey rink there during the summer. That'll be easy if you've been to Mount Rushmore. You could go to Iowa. They're doing well. That would be good. We can play inside a college rink. That'd be good because there's plenty of space for everyone, all the hockey players to stay. Plenty of hotels. No problem. Plenty of food. I'm trying to think of another place. Neutral. Oh, Vegas. Of course they'll go to. Oh, no. Sorry. Basketball's in Vegas, so it can't be there. True. All the hotels are closed, but we'll worry about that later. No problem. Wonder what else neutral site would be. Ah, Winnipeg, because Canada's borders are open, so they're ready to have everybody from the U.S. Who from the U.S. is going to Canada right now? You have to be essential. Alaska, that's a good one. Coke is yelling at me. Alaska, baby. You're right. That would be a neutral site. I think the union would have no problem schlepping to Sitka. Trying to think of how many paved roads there are in Sitka. How about Kotzebue? Anyone ever been to Kotzebue? It's right above the Arctic Circle. No paved roads. The good news is during the summer, it's 24 hours of sun. I was once in Kotzebue and there was a Little League game that was scheduled for midnight. I kid you not. Midnight was the scheduled time in Kotzebue. Of course, six months of the year, it's dark 24 hours a day. But during the summer, you can play hockey in Kotzebue outside, and it's automatic social distancing. The only problem is I'm not sure there can be a team bus. Now there could be a team horse or maybe a team buggy or a wagon or a bicycle or a tricycle or a deucicle or a tricycle. A quad, quadra, a dog sled. Coca is on fire. Coca is in my ear. We are in sync. We're like this. I'm clasping my hands together. I say boo. He says yeah, yeah. Dog sleds. You're right. They could stay in igloos. Is that what you're going to say? The team igloo. That's funny, Coca. You think that? How's that? Do you guys think that's funny? 
the NHL players will stay in team igloos with plenty of testing. There are rumors that the PGA, just in terms of testing, I got to bring this up, that the PGA, in order to have a tournament, needs a million tests. Is that possible? That there's going to be a million tests available so we can have PGA again or hockey or baseball or basketball or football? Oh, my. It's a definite wait to see. But we have heard that there will be hockey in July. It'll be like Christmas in July. Rest in peace, Mr. Alfred, my fourth grade teacher, who made me write a paper on Christmas in July that I'll never forget that I got an A minus on because you found two grammatical mistakes. It, we, I, I think it was fourth grade. I was in two grammatical mistakes. I hadn't yet gotten to learn from Mr. Lynn, my high school grammar teacher. Two grammatical mistakes goes to an A minus. When I said Christmas in July, and my, my, my desire in the paper was to have eight nights of Christmas in July, I thought it made perfect sense. Yeah, what do I know? I watched a long movie the other day, two hours and 46 minutes, 166 minutes of pure, unadulterated, unscrambled pleasure. Gangs of New York, a 2002 movie nominated for 10 Academy Awards. It won zero, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, Leonardo DiCaprio, and in a last-minute casting decision, Cameron Diaz. Because the studio, in order to give Martin Scorsese the budget he needed, and boy, did he need a budget, needed a very bankable name in the lead female role. So they got Cameron Diaz. She was actually the low point of the movie. An important character, but not great. Daniel Day-Lewis, I'm going to throw down the gauntlet and say right now, and nothing personal, Daniel Day-Lewis is the best actor in my generation, I have him a tick ahead of Philip Seymour Hoffman, a tick ahead of Dustin Hoffman, Robert Redford. Daniel Day-Lewis is simply the best. God, I miss Shit's Creek. You're simply the best. That's Shit's Creek and Tina Turner. So Gangs of New York is about literally the gangs. It's sort of a true story adapted from a true story. It's based on what happened in the 1840s, 50s, and 60s in New York when there were a ton of gangs in New York, including riots and all the things that happened. And it Happened in it down. It happened really all over New York, but there was an area called Five Points, New York, and that was the city down in the village, what's now the village. And this town square came to Five Points, and it was a bloodbath. It was insanity. There were draft riots when people were coming off the boats from Ireland and being put right into the the war in order to fight the Civil War. It was just an insane time when Daniel Day-Lewis was the lead, if you will, of one gang. And there are about 10 gangs that patrol. There's even like a gang council. Daniel Day-Lewis's character is named the Butcher. Why is he named the Butcher? Because he was a butcher. Literally, he would carve meat. Sometimes it would even be animals. Leonardo was part of a gang that was called the Dead Rabbits. So Leonardo DiCaprio plays the part, and it all starts when Leonardo's father gets killed. And then 16 years later, you see where he is. By the way, the cameo of DiCaprio's father is Mr. Taken himself. The suspect in Suspect. Anyone ever seen Suspect? John Mahoney and Cher. How about Love Actually? Yeah, Liam Neeson. He plays the original head of the Dead Rabbits. It, the movie's so good. Martin Scorsese, I made a list of top five Scorsese movies. I don't know if I did. Coco, have I done my top five Scorsese movies on nothing personal? I can't remember. I may have, I may not have. But I can only tell you this. 
I wouldn't have had Gang of New York because I never saw it. And I don't know why I never saw it, except I knew I'd never seen it. And I never wanted to take the time to see it because I was ready to live my life not having seen it. And then the quarantine came and I started changing my mind about things I wanted to do. I am so thankful for having seen Gangs of New York. If you have not seen it, you will see a performance by Daniel Day-Lewis. It'll take your tongue away. Gangs of New York. What about tennis dads? I'm not a big fan of dads in general, athletic dads. I don't mean dads in general. Dads are amazing people. I'm talking about people who believe that their kids, there's two types of athletic dads that sort of bother me because I've seen them and I know what they do to children. One are the type of Little League dads who are helicopter dads who make their kid believe that their kid is the greatest baseball Little League player of all time. And every time the little kid strikes out, the little kid cries looking at his dad, thinking that he had let down his dad. That's one type. Second type is the dad of an actual athlete who is a professional athlete, who's good enough to be a professional athlete and is so overbearing, so involved that they actually hurt the chances for their child to have a good career. We've seen it. The exception is Richard Williams, whose kids, Venus and Serena, have had obviously Hall of Fame historic careers. I'm talking about tennis right now because two articles came out that I could not go a day without talking to you about. There's a tennis player from locally down here in Florida. Her name is Coco Goff. She is a uh, 15 or 16-year-old. She has a chance to be one of the greats. She had that amazing run as a young kid in Wimbledon, U.S. Open. She came out and said recently that she went through a period, she's 17 now maybe, where she was in a very dark place, very depressed. And we weren't surprised to hear her say that because the list of female athletes or male athletes or young athletes who end up getting too much too soon. When you are 16 years old and you've gone to major tournaments and you are getting money and you are a professional athlete, a lot can go wrong for getting the pressures brought upon you by your parents. So when she admitted that she had been through depression and was depressed and that she was in this dark place where she needed help, that's when a parent has to step up and say, you know what? 16-year-olds have a tough time. 16-year-olds are right in the middle of high school trying to figure it out, trying to worry where their next zit's going to come from, try to figure out whether the girl likes, likes you or not, whether the guy looks at you, whether or not you're getting a special moment, whether or not anyone's going to call you, whether or not you're going to be alone on a weekend, whether or not you're going to get good grades, whether or not you're going to learn, whether or not you're going to be as successful as your parents or more successful than your parents, whether you're going to turn into your parents. 16-year-olds have a lot on their minds. Add to that the stress of being a professional athlete. We talked about this with uh, basketball players joining the NBA at 19, the NBA life. What about being on the tennis tournament circuit? So Corey Goff, I've never met him. This is my caveat to start with. I have never met Corey Goff. That is the dad of Coco. What I do know is how pathetic he is. And I'm willing to not, this is not personal, this is business. Why is it business? Because Corey Goff took the time to go public and go against his daughter and release a statement saying, my daughter has never been treated for nor diagnosed with clinical depression. I lost my mind. 
I want to call him out and I don't ever want to stop because he is endangering his daughter in a way that he doesn't realize because he's trying to protect his sponsors and the money that his daughter can generate. And it's pathetic. It's sad. You're a sad, pathetic man. Now you can come back at me and say you're being unreasonable. You have quarantine brain. I was merely saying she had not been clinically diagnosed with depression. Really? That's what you're going to say? Let me give you a better thing to say if you're Corey Goff. I read with great horror the words that my beautiful daughter, who I love so much, said publicly. I am very distraught that she was ever in a dark place, and I will work to get her help because I want her, above all things, to be mentally in a good place and to live a happy life both on and off the court. The most important thing for my 16-year-old daughter, the single most important thing is for her to be happy with herself and be in a place where she can handle the stress of not just being a teenager, but also being a tennis player. And I am dedicated to getting her that help. I will have no further comment on the subject. Do you know that she would have gotten more sponsors for that, Corey? Do you know that the stigma that you attach to mental health disorders is not a stigma and it only is because you perpetuate it by talking that way? Why is it that Glenn Close has to have an entire foundation whose sole purpose is to try to change the stigma associated with mental illness? We all raise money for whatever disease, Parkinson's, cancer. I've raised money for all of them. They're important. There's no difference between those and mental, dis- mental health disorders. It's infuriating. If I'm Coco, you know what I'm doing at 16? I'm telling my dad that I'm locking myself in my room and I don't want you to ever talk on my behalf again. If sponsors have a problem with me saying what I said, I don't want them as my sponsor. If I have companies who want to go with me on this journey, those are the companies that I will work hard for and I'm going to make them money because I'm going to be better than Jennifer Capriati. I'm not going to let any sort of problem happen because I'm successful as a teenager. Jennifer only won three majors. I'm going to do better. You're never going to see me in a mugshot. You're never going to see me arrested. I'm not going to retire at 28 because of all of the problems and injuries that come with being an early professional. I will find a way. And the first way to do it is, Dad, you are off my team. I want you to go back to being my dad. Corey Goff, you should be ashamed of yourself. Good luck, Coca. Coco, sorry. Coca, you're Coca. Coco, good luck. We are all with you and we love watching you play, but don't want to see you play until you feel better. Okay. ML Beer Challenge, day 38. It's day 38. You know what that means because you're paying attention. We're going backwards in the Eastern Conference. It's the Washington Wizards. Washington, D.C. is getting $1,000 as part of the Beer Challenge. I'm giving $1,000 away a day for 100 days. Today's recipient will be the Washington Wizards, and I'm doing it even though I'm upset with that team. The reason I'm upset with the Wizards is that they used to employ, as their team GM and president, a man named Ernie Grunfeld. Ernie Grunfeld was just on the last dance. You may not have seen me how to look really quickly and carefully. Ernie Grunfeld wore number 18 for the Knicks. 18, Ernie Grunfeld is a Jewish man. He was a Jewish player in the NBA. 18 means high. 
He chose that number purposely, maybe. You may remember him as part of the Bernie and Ernie show at Tennessee, as in Bernard King and Ernie Grunfeld, the Bernie and Ernie show. Ernie was also a player for the Milwaukee Bucks. Ernie was also the GM for the New York Knicks and the Milwaukee Bucks. And then the Washington Wizards had a very, very long career, got horribly criticized, never was able to win a title, but he is a great man and a great executive. He got summarily pushed out the door with some extensions that didn't work out with the Wizards team that didn't work out. But I can only tell you that you have a team with Gilbert Arenas. You've got John Wall. You have an opportunity. You get see Bradley Beal. That's a team that maybe should have done better. Were there some character issues? Was there an issue with the owner? I don't know, but I know Ernie well enough to know that he was not acting alone. Ernie Grunfeld was the person who taught me how to shoot free throws. And I want to call you out, Ernie, right now, because actually I know you listen to the show. So thank you for that. And I'm not telling this story just because of that. I would tell this to everyone, and I do tell it to everyone. I learned how to shoot free throws from you, and the way I shoot free throws is the exact same way you did, with the coil of your body. Sort of, I can't can't do it on the air, certainly if you're listening, and even if you're watching, because during the course of a show, I'm sitting straight up, and I'm talking to a microphone, and right around the 39-minute mark, my back sort of locks up, and I start getting a little sweaty in the palms, maybe a little in the forehead, so I can't really do it, and I'm afraid that my wire will fall out, and Wilson will get hurt and float away, but just picture a snake that goes on the ground and sort of, I don't know what the word is, Coco, what's the word for a snake? How a snake moves? Does it shimmy? Like a snake shimmy? So anyway, Uh, that's what Ernie did when he would shoot free throws. And he taught me that slither. Yes, Coke has been on point today. Snake slither. So what I did to learn free throws is I learned how to slither, which would bring the power from my legs up through my chest onto my hands. And that was the way to get me onto my tippy toes, which is how I could get the ball, the 15 feet necessary without jumping because I wasn't big enough to have the power to do it. I used to just have a jump shot from the free throw line. Then it turned into a slither. Thank you, Ernie. Washington Wizards MLB Challenge. It's the ML Beard Challenge, day 38. Tomorrow's a big one. Get ready. There may be a coca sighting on the show tomorrow. I'm not guaranteeing it. I'm just saying there may be a then and now photo because that would be what coca's like on day 39 of Survivor. Okay, we got a bit of a longer wait to see today because it's an interesting one. Wait to see is when I'm accountable and you're accountable and you keep me accountable and I appreciate that. And that is where we say that something's going to happen and either it does or it doesn't. There's been some fallout from the Last Dance documentary. That's the documentary that was on. First two episodes were on Sunday. The next two episodes will be on this coming Sunday. And then they're on Netflix the following day for the next five weeks or four weeks. You'll have the last eight episodes. And usually we don't review something until we've seen the entire documentary. But in this case, why wouldn't we? There's so much stuff. We are reviewing two episodes at a time. There's been some last dance fallout. And I'm not surprised by that. Some of the fallout has been about Jerry Krause. People are upset. How could you go after Jerry Krause so much if you're the documentarian and you're the editor when he's dead and he can't defend himself? Shouldn't really do that. But then there's been other types of fallout, like Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr went on the radio today or yesterday because players are going on. He's the coach of the Golden State Warriors. Steve Kerr was a part of the Bulls championship run. He's in the last dance. He was part of that season. And he said something that is fascinating. Two things. 
The first thing Steve Kerr said is that no teammates resented Scottie Pippen for not having the surgery in a timely manner. That's the surgery that I told you about yesterday where Jordan said that he thought Pippen was selfish and I told you it was an outrage that Scottie Pippen missed time in the 97-98 season because he wanted to enjoy his bleeping summer. And we know that teammates were resentful because Jordan was a teammate and Jordan called it selfish. Steve Kerr is looking back now and saying, no, I don't, I don't, we didn't resent Pippen. We were fine with it. Really? Really, Steve? Are you just saying that because you're the coach of a team right now who just had a dynasty and is probably on the way down due to injuries and losing Durant and you still want to maintain your clubhouse presence because you're the coach of that team? So you want to give the benefit of the doubt to the players because you want to be a player's coach? You're telling me as his teammate, you didn't wonder why you were busting your ass during the offseason to get ready and Scottie Pippen was lounging around in beach chairs waiting to have surgery until you were going through training camp, running lines back and forth, wind sprints, playing exhibition games that you'd rather be doing anything other than doing, but there was no resentment at all. When you've got to wake up and do a shoot around on game day when you've gotten into the, into the city at 2 a.m. the night before, or when you've got to go to a practice on an off day that you don't want to go to, yeah, why well, would? of course there's no resenting. And then Steve said something else. He tried to explain why Jordan left the Bulls. And he tried to excuse why Jordan left the Bulls for the two years that he left the Bulls. He said, I always will maintain that the reason he went and played baseball was because he was fried emotionally from the scrutiny that really only he felt. Watching him by the time that I got there and the life compared to everyone else, it was insane. So I think he had had enough and just stepped away for a little while, came back and was ready to roll. That's your story, Steve. Are you sticking to that? You're sticking to the story that Michael Jordan left because of all the scrutiny? There wasn't even social media back then. Yes, he was the Beatles, but trust me, there are a lot of Michael Jordan stories from around Chicago that indicate that he was living in a time before there was social media. You know the ones where he pulls his car up to someone and asks for a phone number? Yeah, you know those times. Those don't really happen anymore because the minute you pull over to a car of a stranger and you say, roll down the window and say, hey, can I have your number? Guess what happens? They start filming. But don't worry, Steve, you're right. We'll believe you that Jordan left after winning three titles in a row, even though Phil Jackson was still going to be the coach because he was so tired, tired of the scrutiny, fried emotionally, and then boom, Because you may not remember when he was playing baseball for the Birmingham Barons, part of the White Sox organization, no one paid attention to him at all. There was no news at all. We never knew what he did during his at-bats. There was no media following the Birmingham Barons or the White Sox during training. None at all. Come on, Steve. Tell your story to someone who will believe it. Here at Nothing Personal, we're going to tell you the truth. You know very well that you didn't think he was fried emotionally from the scrutiny. Come on, man. Wait to see. You think that this will be the last time a player contradicts something that's in Last Dance, something that is the Jordan narrative, something that Jordan wants you to believe? You think there will be another time when another player will contradict once the episodes come out, contradict what Jordan said? No chance. Karen Carpenter said it right. We've only just begun. Because it's business. It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.